What's up, guys? Max here with another episode of the Scuttlebutt Show. Welcome, everybody. I hope you had a great Super Bowl. How about that game? You got to admit, at this point, Tom Brady is probably the most dominant athlete in the NFL that has ever existed. How about that streaker? How about the guy who, uh, I guess, I mean, would you call him that? How about the guy that ran on the field? Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed the game. I hope you got to have a lot of fun. I got to check it out out here in Okinawa at 8.30 in the morning. 8.30 in the morning, we were out having brunch, enjoying uh, enjoying watching the game. It was a good time. So I'd love to hear how you guys spent the Super Bowl. Um, welcome back. It's been a long weekend, and we have an insane amount of stuff to cover today, including, I have not forgotten, we are going to talk about my top five military movies in my opinion, this list is deeply personal to me, so I would love to hear what yours are as well. I would love to hear what yours are. We've got so many stories. We've got a murder out of the army. Another one. Another one out of the army. We've got a Navy miracle. We've got a Navy miracle, a long lost uh, item recovered and given back to a Navy sailor out of the ice cold, brutal north. A little bit of a follow-up on that mysterious story of the missing person out here in Japan. Another note on Black History Month of the military kind of screwing around with uh, communities of color, and I thought we would cover that. It's a pretty crazy story. And a big one here is that, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was a recruit out of Paris Island Marine Corps boot camp who committed suicide a few years ago, but there's a lot more to the story than that, and we're going to cover that as probably our big story of today. But I don't know. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I do. I've got exactly the story pulled up that we're going to start with, but this is what I call an AMPM episode, okay? This is an AMPM episode because we have too much good stuff. I want to give a shout out to everybody in the chat. So what's up, Justin? What's up, Earl? What's up, Scotty? Great to have you guys here. A couple people joining us for the first time. We've got SCP-5000, an expert knight joining us. Welcome. I hope uh, I hope you guys are having a good week so far. We've got uh, Earl crushing his runtime, getting ready to join up, and congratulations on that. Good job training. Keep up the good work. Uh, as always, the best ways to support the channel are invite people to come watch the show. Check out all the links in the description down below where you can find merch, become a patron, find the donation button, whatever the best way to support the channel is for you guys. And make sure if you haven't already smashed that subscribe button, we're up to 922 subscribers. Can we hit a thousand by the end of the month? Can we hit a thousand by the end of February? That's the goal. 1000 is the goal for February. So with that being said, let's not waste another moment because we have too much to cover today. Let's get into the first story, which is U.S. Army soldier charged with murder in a death of wife at the Schofield Barracks. Another one. This is another one out of the Army. We're covering these Army murder stories on a regular over here. The U.S. Army soldier has been charged with murder after his wife was found dead at Hawaii's Schofield Barracks. Army Specialist Raul Hernandez Perez of Florida was charged in the killing of 25-year-old Selena Roth. Roth was found dead in a trash can on January 13th after concerned family members requested a welfare check. By the way, the word on this is the murder was so violent they cannot even have a showing for the body. The murder was so brutal that they can't even have a showing for the body. Our brigade and army community are heartbroken by Selena's death, said Colonel Theodore Travis in a statement. We have extended our condolences to Selena's family, friends, and loved ones. A trial date has not yet been set. Hernandez Perez did not respond to a request for comment by the Honolulu Star Hawaii uh, advisor on Tuesday. This is out of Hawaii. So this is the stories from KTLA, Los Angeles's very own. But I do have another story here about this, which is from uh, the, you know, whatever this wink, uh, wink, publication is. So this is the victim. This is the victim, Selena Roth. And uh, there's a little bit more about her here. So 
She is a mother and a veteran herself. So this is terrible. And she has a one-year-old baby, which is horrible for the poor child who I hope is safe. Now her husband is accused of killing her. Raul Hernandez Perez from Naples, Florida. He's now in custody. Selena Roth was always serving uh, her, her, uh, her sister said. She was very kind-hearted. She was definitely an animal lover. That was her happy place in life, saving and rescuing animals right down to the crocheted blankets for chickens. And it's kind of adorable. Her sister's willingness to serve in the army led her to Hawaii. She was spunky and sassy. What little what little sister isn't? She joined the army I, because she, uh, her sister was in the Navy and she always had to do the opposite. Aubrey, Selena, and their mom communicated constantly until January when her phone went silent. And that was a warning sign. A lot of people who are in, you know, it's always suspicious and worrisome when somebody you're always in constant contact with who always has their phone all of a sudden goes silent for a couple days. You always know that that's not a good thing. That is not a good thing. So her husband was specialist Raul Hernandez Perez, and he's been accused and I believe apprehended. He's been apprehended, taken into custody. And I'm sure he, what I mean is I think he's still in custody. I don't think he's out on bail or anything of, uh, of being the perpetrator. According to the army, a trial date has not yet been set for Hernandez Perez. Selena's family wants people to know that when she was alive, she fought against domestic violence and sexual trauma in the military. So she was actually an advocate for exactly this type of thing not happening to people, which is tragic. Um, that is not good. That's not good. We don't like to see that on the show. So I hope that the family gets some justice and maybe some answers as to what was happening. But these domestic violence things are always the number one, uh, number one, you know, it's always the closest person to the victim that seems to be the person who did it. It doesn't say what the motive was, but I could imagine it has something to do with child support, child custody, something, you know, custody battles with little babies always seem to be uh, something that gets people into a lot of trouble and has them acting very irrationally, crime, you know, call them whatever you want, crimes of passion, but it's, it's violence, it's murder, it's not good. I'm not about that one bit. So Abram, welcome to the chat. How's it going with you? Justin says, Florida man, it does seem like all bad stories start that way. And Regal, what's up? I don't know what the motive is here. I'm not going to uh, venture a guess except for the fact that they did have a one-year-old child together. So maybe it has something to do with that. Now, it is, you know, Black History Month in America in the United States. Uh, February, we acknowledge Black History Month. And I've got a, I've been covering stories about the military and segregated units and, the, you know, five black female soldiers who changed, who made a mark on military history and you know, we, we've covered all kinds of stories here, and this one is kind of, I didn't know this. I didn't know about this. Let me know in the chat if you guys know this story. I thought this was crazy. This story is crazy, and uh, it's, it's kind of related to things that are going on in modern day. It's having some ripple effects. These things have ripple effects. So black Savannians, Savannah, Georgia, haunted by memory of U.S. military mosquito experiment. I hate mosquitoes. I hate insects and I am, in my opinion, I have always said I am someone who gets bit more by bugs. Bugs love to bite me. If there's me and someone else in a room and some bugs, they'll go to me, not the other person. Now, interestingly, when I did my 23andMe, one of my, one of my traits that came back was more likely to be bit by bugs. Now, I don't know how to came up with that, but that is something that came up. So, Black Samanians haunted by memory of U.S. military mosquito experiment. Black Americans are more hesitant than whites to take the COVID vaccine, and reasons for that hit close to home in Savannah and include a memory of a classified military operation in the 1950s that dropped hundreds of thousands of mosquitoes, mosquitoes that many believe were infected with disease on Carver Village. Now, 
we're going to, this is a true story. This is confirmed. No one's denying this. And the part where it says many believe were infected with disease, that is, you know, debated. They say that the mosquitoes were not infected with disease, but it was a tactic testing to see if they could weaponize mosquitoes. So let's learn a little bit more about this. I've got a couple articles, a couple sources here. They didn't tell anybody, and it happened, said Chatham County Commission Chairman Chester Ellis. And so that leaves some apprehension, especially when you have residents of that area who've been there since the 50s. And so my job as neighborhood president and also as chairman of the county commission is to kind of calm the storm down to let them know that this vaccination is not like that. The Kaiser Family Foundation, which has been tracking attitudes about the vaccine for months indicates 43% of black adults in the U.S. are taking a wait-and-see approach to the vaccine, according to the results of a poll completed January 18th. Now, what they're implying here is that a lot of this is related to trust issues that have been built up over time of how the government has treated different communities with stuff like this story right here. So the infamous Tuskegee study in which hundreds of black men in Alabama were treated, were went untreated for sips. So here's another example. The infamous Tuskegee study in which hundreds of black men in Alabama were untreated for syphilis without their informed consent is just one injustice. In Savannah, a secret military program in the Cold War called Operation Big Buzz tested the viability of deploying mosquitoes as a delivery system of disease warfare by dropping thousands of mosquitoes on the black neighborhood of Carver Village. So this is a little bit about what the big buzz. First of all, it sounds like my worst nightmare. Imagine one night you go to sleep and the next morning you wake up and there's hundreds of thousands of mosquitoes in your neighborhood, which then multiply into probably millions and you have to deal with this now. No, thank you. Don't, I don't want that at all. So the, uh, a United Press International newspaper article reported about it when the documents were declassified in 1980. Swarms of mosquitoes, the type notorious for transmitting yellow fever, were released in Georgia and Florida in the 1950s by the Army to see if the insects could be used as a biological warfare weapons. Documents showed the October 29, 1980 article states, however, none of the mosquitoes, especially bred by the Army Chemical Corps, was infected when released in Savannah, Georgia in 1956 and at Avon Park, Florida in 1956 and 58, according to declassified documents made available Tuesday. Now, I'll tell you something. I've been to Avon Park, Florida for training. There's a base there. There's a couple bases in that area. And that is not a predominantly minority community. Uh, it's like a retirement community. And I don't know what it was like back then, though. But as, of, as it stands today, that is a retirement community for a lot of old people who move down there and there's, you know, a CVS or Walgreens and a cardiologist office on every corner. And it could have been very different back then. But I do think that th these areas were probably particularly welcoming for mosquitoes to be dropped in as far as climate and where they would uh, thrive in. So I don't know if that has something to do with how they chose these places. The Chemical Corps tested the practicality of employing Aedes aegypti mosquitoes, that must be their type, to carry a biological warfare agent in several ways. In April to November 1956, the Corps ran trials in Savannah, Georgia, by releasing uninfected female mosquitoes in a residential area, and then with cooperation of people in the neighborhood, estimating how many mosquitoes entered houses and bit people. Worst experiment ever. I would never volunteer for this experiment. And that's a doc dated January 1960, entitled Summary of Major Events and Problems, United States Army Chemical Corps. The documents go on to report another deployment of hundreds of thousands of mosquitoes at Avon Park Air Base in Florida, summing up the purpose of the experiment. And while these tests were made with uninfected mosquitoes, it is a fairly safe assumption that infected mosquitoes could be spread equally well, saying that, you know, maybe in the future they could infect mosquitoes with the disease and then airdrop them. And they actually deployed them via different types of bombs and 
airburst type uh, deployment out of aircraft. So they would fly low and deploy these things. And then you've got these infected mosquitoes carrying disease to, you know, an enemy territory. So interesting plan. It's definitely good, I guess, to have that in your arsenal, but this was not a good way to test it, I don't think. And uh, some Savanians, including Ellis, have their doubts about whether the test mosquitoes were infected. He and others investigated the issue while applying for a historic designation for the neighborhood. I know some people will say, well, there were mosquitoes, but they weren't infected. But he says they were. So some people say that these mosquitoes were infected with disease. Now, this operation went by a few different names. It was Operation Big Buzz, and it was Operation Dropkick. And I think there was another one, too. I don't know how they decide, how they... Uh, Oh, Operation Mayday. So Operation Big Itch, Operation Dropkick, and Operation Mayday are all these names that it goes by. So they dropped these mosquitoes on these neighborhoods. I think that was kind of jacked up. And I think what the point of the article is, is if you want to kind of like, if you guys have ever had a chance to read the book Freakonomics, I strongly recommend you go check out Freakonomics. But what they do is they go back and they trace, if something's happening now, what are the origins of this? And so if they're saying that different people from different communities are less likely to you know, go get the COVID vaccine because they don't trust the government. Well, look at all the times that they've been betrayed by the government. So this is just one example of that. I thought it was pretty interesting and it was kind of a horrible experiment. Uh, one that I definitely don't want to live in a community where that is going on. Let me know how you guys feel about it. I see some people in the chat don't like mosquitoes. So Joan says, I hate Skeeters and Regal agrees. And Scotty says, oh, Avon Park, Skeeters are the worst. Yep, true. So I wonder what it was like before the uh, 50s. Regal says, Black History Month is racist until every other race gets a history month. Now, okay, so let me let me just say, I, I, don't, mi- I don't mind that there's a Black History Month. I'm totally in support of it. But let me, you know, it's important that we acknowledge events like the Tuskegee Airmen and segregated units and the Harlem Hellfighters and stuff like that. I think that's very important. But if you actually look, have you ever gone actually and looked at a calendar and seen all the days and months that are marked as things? They're like, I can't think of a thing that doesn't have a day or a month. So everything out there has and not everything gets the same publicity. I think this country has every single day of the year designated as somebody or something's day or month or week or whatever it is. There's a ludicrous amount of things on the calendar. So uh, there's no shortage, no shortage there. Let's... um. Let's knock out a couple more stories, and we're going to get to military movies. If you guys have top military movies, start dropping them in the chat. I want to see what your favorite military movies are before I get to my list. Don't worry. My list is already built into the program today. I'm not going to be able to change it on the fly. So I've already dropped my honorable mentions on Instagram. So if you saw my Instagram post, you'll know what I didn't put in my top five. And uh, when we get to my top five, you'll see what I put in there and why. I'd love to hear your top military movies in the chat. So... We do have, as always, we've got more stories. We've got more stories. The next story is intruder boards a military plane at Joint Base Andrews. My phone was blowing up about this this weekend. Phone's blowing up, getting my news notifications that somebody had snuck onto Joint Base Andrews and try to get on one of the planes. So here's a little article from the New York Times on it. An unarmed man was given a summons for trespassing after he gained access to the base on Thursday and boarded an aircraft typically used by senior government and military leaders, officials said. An unarmed man gained access to Joint Base Andrews in Maryland on Thursday and boarded a plane typically used by senior government and military leaders, prompting the authorities to order a review of security at Air Force bases worldwide. And I don't know if you guys have seen across Reddit, there's all these new posts about new base policies. For example, when I go on base here in Okinawa, I now have to roll down my back windows, even if I'm the only person in the car. There's all kinds of new base procedures for the Air Force's security, or they wear patches on their sleeve to say SF means security forces. So they're definitely stepping up their game because they don't want another uh, embarrassment here. Earl says, reminds him of GTA. No doubt. This is like something out of GTA, huh? 
And there are stories of people sneaking on military bases in the past and stealing a plane or stealing a helicopter and going for a test, uh, a little test ride, a little joy ride. So I don't know if you guys remember when that happened a few years ago. Maybe that might have been like 15 years ago, actually. An unarmed man gained access and he took the uh, he took the uh, part of the base that includes the runways and ramps and boarded a C-40 plane assigned to the 89th airlift wing. The aircraft was based on the commercial Boeing 737 business jet was designed to be an office in the sky for senior military and government leaders with an array of communications technology and Joint Base Andrews also famously is the home of Air Force One. Security forces at Joint Base Andrews responded, detained, and interviewed the man with the help from the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, which like the Air Force's uh, police or NCIS. The man was booked by the Office of Special Investigations and given a federal summons for trespassing. He was then turned over to local law enforcement officials because he has two outstanding warrants. Wonder what those are for. It does not say. The man did not harm anyone, and there was no indication that the ind individual was any links to extremist groups. The security of our installation is paramount, says uh, Roy Oberhaus, the vice wing commander of 316th Wing at Andrews. This was a serious breach of security, and Joint Base Andrews is investigating the incident to determine how this happened so it doesn't happen again. Now, if you've been on a bunch of military bases, you've probably seen very, very many areas of kind of low security where somebody could jump on or over a fence. I can't believe this doesn't happen more often, to be honest, especially at like, for example, the Navy bases in San Diego, where somebody can just swim up to like 99% of it and just walk on. And then you've got the gate guards or like the guards who were on patrol on the beaches and on the coastal areas whose job is supposed to be looking out for stuff like that. And you got, you got to hope that they're not taking a nap or just you know, lollygagging, skylarking up at the ceiling, paying, playing on their phone, playing Candy Crush like me when they should be on watch, something like that. But if they're doing their job, they might catch it. But there's tons of ways to sneak on a base. I am shocked this doesn't happen more often. A few years ago, somebody swam across the bay and climbed up on an aircraft carrier in San Diego. If this ever happened on a base that you were on, I'd love to hear about it. I think the only reason it doesn't happen more often is because people think security is better than it is. There's probably just this idea that you know, military base security must be so good that nobody can get on it and you'll get shot if you do. So people don't really try, but those who try tend to be successful. So let's see, we've got some answers on the popular military movies. So Regal says Starship Troopers, Jones says Predator, Justin and Glorious Bastards, Scotty, Air Force blind spots are getting bad. Oh yeah, Air Force got a lot of blind spots nowadays. Air Force got a lot of blind spots nowadays. Abram, Abraham says Tropic Thunder for sure. Tropic Thunder. Interesting, uh, based on uh, the actual um, army unit Tropic Lightning, which uh, we'll be talking about later a little bit, probably. Regal says, I wouldn't trust the Air Force to guard my shitter. <laughs> well, unfortunately, they probably have. In <laughs> When you were on uh, Bagram and other bases, they probably have guarded your, guarded your ass. Justin says, bro, when you were... When you were you there when the coyote boat from Mexico crashed onto the North Island Beach and we're just wandering wandering on base until we got caught. So actually, yes, I was playing soccer out there when it happened. Some people had even said they saw them running on. So what he, what Justin's talking about is on North Island. This must have been in 2011 or something like that. 2010 is that does that sound right? This boat of immigrants from Mexico. Dot, like landed, you know, went aground on North Island on one of the beach area, Gator, wait, not Gator Beach. What's it called out there? Breakers Beach, Breakers Beach, North Island. And everyone got off the boat and scrambled. And we were standing there playing soccer that morning doing, you know, field sports for PT. And some people saw them and they just ran off and no one knew what to do. It was like, is this really happening right now? And then base security had to go find them and, you know, round them all up. But talk about a bad place to get caught. 
just kind of funny coincidental story about that. There's also a huge amount of people who accidentally drive up to the gate uh, who are probably, you know, illegal or undocumented or whatever. This happens all the time in San Diego. Drive up to the gate and then they're like, uh, you know, we just want to turn around and they get detained and they end up getting caught that way. It happens all the time. SCP says, my favorite war movie is definitely Hacksaw Ridge and maybe Platoon. Scotty says, that was a sad day for Navy security. Yep, it was. I remember. Yeah, so 11, 12, or 13, that sounds about right. Probably 2011, 2012. I think I was still at HSC3 at the time, so I want to say 2011 or 2012 is probably right. Um, that was crazy. That was a crazy time, for sure. Okay, so we've got, we've got some more stories today. We have four more stories, as a matter of fact, including our big story of the day. And we're cruising right along. We're having a good time. We're cruising along. I want to get to the movies. Okay, let's get to the military movies. So you guys said some of your favorites. And I threw up my top five. I, I thought about it all weekend. Thought about it all weekend after Minnie had said, you know, don't forget. Don't forget your top five movies if she's watching right now. Ayo Nixo, we got a link up, dude. We got a link up. I'm not running from you. It just, we haven't had, haven't had the right moment to link up. What are you doing this afternoon? I'll actually be in Yomaton. Hit me up. So... Check it out. Top five military movies. I was able to put together this list relatively easily. Most of them came to mind right away without much hesitation or, or thinking. Uh, we, w- when, I got, when I sat down and I started putting my movies together, I was like, this is an interesting list. I'm surprised at my list, actually. Because there was one thing I noticed about the movies that I picked. There was one thing interesting about the movies that I picked that I, once, I, once I had them all on paper, I realized what they all had in common. And then I went through and I was like, let me just look up all the military movies, jog my memory, make sure I didn't get anything wrong here. And I ended up finding a, I ended up finding that I had found all the ones that I wanted, all the ones that I meant to get. And then there were a few more that I thought, ah, oh, maybe I want to put those in my list. But I was like, nope, I found my list. I knew, I knew my top three without even thinking about it, without even skipping a beat. And then the next two, I, I kind of tossed, tossed several around to make sure I came up with the right ones. But anyway, I'm babbling on. Let me, uh, let me get right to my top five military movies, starting with my number five. This is one of the easy ones. I actually have some modern war movies on here, okay? I have some modern war movies on here. And, uh, and one of them, you might be surprised. You might not even have heard of a couple of these. But one of them was Sandcastle. So Sandcastle is a movie on Netflix, Netflix distributed movie about a soldier in Iraq who... I won't, I'll try to avoid spoilers here, but who in the very beginning of the movie is doing everything he can to get home. He joined the army to pay for college. He really hated being in Iraq. He didn't believe in the war. He ends up getting, you know, sent out to the front lines and he, he goes through this transformation throughout the movie of becoming this kind of like just hardened soldier, just, you know, war fighter. And I thought it was really good. I thought it was really well done. A good take on the modern Iraq, Afghanistan wartime. And I thought they did a, a, a great job putting this together. And it just really hit me. You know, it really hit me. And the reason why is the reason why all these movies are on this list pretty much. And I'm going to get to that at the end. I'm going to I'm gonna wrap it all up at the end with like kind of how all these movies fit together. But this one made the list. Sandcastle, maybe not the greatest film that there's ever been. But as far as war movies go for me, this one made my top five. I really loved it. Left a big mark on me after I saw it. So if you guys haven't had a chance to see that one, go check it out. Now, this next one, the next one I put on the list because it's, I kind of have a very personal connection to it now, which was, you know, we covered it on the show a lot. 
we had special guests on the show who were there when it happened. And I had to include, and I, and some of you know what I'm talking about by now. And I had to include the outpost because it tells a story of the war in Afghanistan that happened in our, in our, you know, these Afghanistan, Iraq war movies happen in our lifetime. They tell stories of people who are still alive. They're stories that must be told. This is the story of soldiers at cop Keating in 2009. They're laughing at me now. They're laughing at me now. They're in the chat right now laughing at me. I know of all the military movies in the history of military movies, why did I put this one on the list? I think because, you know, I, I, I look at it now as I have like more of a connection to this story. I remember when it happened in real life. I am honored to have had the chance to talk to and get to know some of the people who were there. And it's just a story that needs to be told, frankly. And so I had to put it on the list. I had to put this on the list. There was no doubt. There was no question about it. So the outpost is on the list. You guys can light me up in the chat if you think that I really should not have included it, you know, but hey, I think there's a lot of people out there who would agree with me that this is one of their, their favorite war movies of all time. Ever since this went up on, on my YouTube channel, it's been the most commented on, most viewed content that exists on the channel. I have a lot of respect and I want to honor those who were a part of this. And, uh, and people have told me that I can't tell you how many people have commented on this video saying it's their favorite war movie of all time. Their favorite story told of modern warfare of all time. And so I had to include it. There was no question in my mind that this movie would make the list. So Regal's laughing at me. Jones, I appreciate you uh, being here and being in the, in the chat. Justin says, Behind Enemy Lines was a pretty good movie. Regal says, Mr. Roberts is my favorite Navy movie. Uh, so the Beer Day's coming up. I actually got to talk to A.O. Nixo about that. Beer Day's coming up. Now, this next movie, the next three movies on this list, okay, are probably more along the lines of what you might think I was going to put on here, okay? I bet those first two caught a lot of people by surprise. But the next three are probably movies you might expect to find on a list like this. The first one being, now, I don't know if you guys have ever even seen it. Let me know in the chat if you have even ever seen this movie. It is, I saw it when I was very young, and I've seen it a bunch of times. Now, this movie made the list because of the same reason most of these other movies made the list. The next one is The Deer Hunter. Have you guys seen The Deer Hunter? A movie about Vietnam spanning pre, pre-war, wartime, and then decades after the war is over. And it just tells a story of these, you know, guys who were friends in the United States. The Vietnam War comes up. They enlist. They go join the army. They go over. They spend time as POWs. They go back to the United States and they have to deal with the trauma afterwards. And that's a big reason why I put this movie on the list. It deals with post-military trauma. A lot of military films, they end, you know, flying off on a helicopter. How many military movies, including the ones on this list, end with people flying away on a helicopter? But I think it's important to tell the story of what happens decades and decades and decades later for a lot of people. There's a huge part of that story. And this one hits that in a way that is, frankly unbearable to watch. It is unbearable to watch. It's hard. It, it is really emotional. Now, I will say one thing about this movie, which is a lot of it revolves around Russian roulette. You guys familiar with Russian roulette? I'll just say it, it revolves, uh, revolves probably a weird choice of words for this, but it, it, ta- it centers around Russian roulette. And factually speaking, there's not an inst- this movie's not based on an actual event that happened to anybody, but I think that the way it 
tackles, the war experience, and the way that they use kind of Russian roulette as a, a metaphor for what's going on with these guys is incredible. And if you haven't seen The Deer Hunter, I recommend, or if you haven't seen it in a long time, I recommend you go watch it. Jones has seen it. Jones says his fave. Uh, it's an incredible movie. Deer Hunter is incredible. It's long. Uh, it's powerful. It's freaking hard to watch, okay? So I do recommend you check out The Deer Hunter. It's one of my favorite war movies, and it's just, I mean, it's up there. It's got an incredible cast of people. It's got, uh, so Regal, you've only seen a Russian. There's so much more to Deer Hunter than Russian roulette scenes. Uh, it's it's really a story about people over anything else, and I think that's what makes a military movie so great is when it's about the people, when it's about the human experience of military service, and that's why all these movies made it onto the list. So now, Deer Hunter is Vietnam era movie, right? And I, Vietnam movies have kind of, a, I don't know why, a special place in my heart because the Vietnam War affected so many people in such a unique way of the fact that with the draft and people not wanting to be there and the way that the United States viewed Vietnam War veterans when they came home, plus the horrors of the war that they faced and the difficult stories that were told after Vietnam, the difficult stories of what happened, of including what the U.S. military did to people in Vietnam. So with that being said, the fourth movie on my list is Platoon. So Oliver Stone's masterpiece, Platoon. Uh, I mean, if you, if you haven't seen Platoon, I don't know what you're doing. This made my list because it is based on his lived experiences in the army in Vietnam before he was ever a famous filmmaker. And it is, it is, it holds nothing back, right? It holds absolutely nothing back. It takes on every dark corner of the Vietnam War and puts it right in your face. I mean, everything. And it's not as kind of crazy as Apocalypse Now is, but this movie is just unbelievably brutal. Like the violence in it, the the drug use, the sex, the kind of sexual violence in it, everything is just brutal in your face. Like you cannot escape it when you watch this movie. And I think that took a lot of guts to make a movie like this at the time that it was made and the other people who made movies who were similar, who it, it certainly does not make the military look good. This movie does not make the military look good, but it's him telling this, his story as he lived through it of the horrors of the Vietnam War. And if anything, it helps you understand the, the, ex, the, the experience of a lot of Vietnam veterans who after they came back and the kind of things that they had to live with, especially not just things people did, but things that people know happened, just combat that people lived through. Forget about like the war crime type stuff that it happens in this movie, but just living through the battles that it shows, which are known to be, you know, extremely realistic compared to what people in Vietnam experienced. Uh, their base gets overrun. They are, con they're con basically constantly on the run. They have scenes where they are committing unthinkable acts of violence against the people from Vietnam. Um, I mean, it's just, it's another tough one to watch, but it is all about the horrible experiences that people might have when they are deployed into a war zone. And I think that this one captures Vietnam, especially uniquely in the sense that it is, it's not pleasant to watch. It's not pleasant to watch. And I think it does a great job. So I had to put Platoon on the list. It's a classic. It's a must watch. If you don't know Platoon, you have to watch it. Justin says, uh, what was that movie with John Travolta investigating murder during training? Was that a, 
was that with Samuel Jackson too? Is that the one with Samuel Jackson? So I have and have always had, basically since I was a kid, a number one favorite military movie. And it's hard to really express what makes it stand out better than the rest in my mind. But it is, it is, my number one is We Were Soldiers. The movie We Were Soldiers is just incredible, I think. The story of the initial battles of Vietnam, the people who were going to war, the people who were, you know, getting recruited and what they were like before they ever went, the the one excited young lieutenant, they got the hardened sergeant major who I believe was just coming off of Korea, uh, the colonel who is played by um, Mel Gibson, does a great job. And then the story being told through the eyes of the reporter, it just makes it even better that uh, it is told almost from the perspective of a civilian, right? Kind of seeing these things. And it also has a lot of kind of personal transformation that happens along the way with the soldiers, with the colonel, with the reporter, especially uh, when he hangs up his camera. You know that scene where he hangs up his camera and uh, he realizes like he might have to fight now. He might have to fight because they're getting overrun in the valley there. And it was, it was absolutely just a powerful movie that from the moment I saw it, it was always my favorite war movie. I thought it was really raw, really, uh, you know, also held nothing back. Entire movie revolves around one battle and everything about it was just, you know, unbelievable. The way it depicted courage and violence, sacrifice, mistakes, the way that it shows mistakes that were made in the beginning, which happened, I feel like all too often military movies, U.S. military movies display people's choices as being like so tactically brilliant and, you know, just uh, their their military, like their, their, their combat ability is just un, unparalleled, unmatched. But this movie has a lot of mistakes made, a lot of mistakes made from bottom to top, right, as far as chain of command goes. And it is something that is so important to show in movies. The Outpost also highlights kind of the tactical disadvantage of the base where they were at. And it, it, I think that it is, you know, really human to show military people serving overseas when they face the consequences of bad choices. So when the guys get cut off and we were soldiers and they find themselves on the other side of the riverbed chasing that one guy trying to capture him, they end up cut off and surrounded, no way to get help. And they're kind of holding it down with a few guys against a battalion of Viet Cong. So that kind of stuff is so important to see. And really that kind of human factor of imperfection and and impulsiveness and bad tactics is something I think is a great thing to show in, um, in military movies. So We Were Soldiers is my number one. And that made my top five. So why did I put these movies on the list. So after I had put Sandcastles, Deer Hunter, We Were Soldiers, and Platoon on the list, I realized that, and then I, I, Outpost was the last movie I put on the list. It was an easy choice to put it on there, but I had a few that I was kicking around and I, I didn't know if I, if the Outpost would be, I, I guess, uh, I was thinking about the people who would be watching this video when I thought about putting the Outpost on the list. And so I decided eventually, uh, it had to go on there. It just belongs there. So these movies 
I realized while not traditional, so I didn't put on Inglorious Bastards, I didn't put on Full Metal Jacket, right? These classic military movies. These movies to me all show transformation. They all show transformation of the people in the movie from beginning to end. And Full Metal Jacket does a great job of that with Private Joker. Other movies show, you know, do a great job as well. But these movies to me really show how people have changed from beginning to the end of their military experience, right? And so that is the primary reason that these movies spoke to me. Now, when I was in, when I was in the military and I was in doing standard Navy deployments, right? I deployed in 2006, I deployed in 2007 on ships and it was all good. I was I never pictured myself going to Iraq or Afghanistan or anything like that. When opportunity came to go to Afghanistan in 2009 and I volunteered and went and did my deployment over there and I came back and everyone was like, dude, you're like a different person. You're like a different person now. And I'll say, I'm not a different person. I'm the same person. Like, oh, you're like a different person. And I remember, you know, telling people, look, I'm not a, and this is an interesting thing about kind of how these types of experiences can change you and kind of change your perspective. And it kind of goes along that like, you know, people talk about depression, PTSD, anxiety, and why it's kind of hard to deal with is because when you're experiencing those things, you don't feel like there's something wrong with you. You feel like you're the only one who has it right. You know, like you feel like you're the only one who gets it. And so what I would tell people was, I haven't changed. I just know how shit really is now. Like I haven't changed as a person. I've just, I just know things now that I didn't know before. And I'm not, I'm not wrong or anything. I'm right, you know, and you're wrong. You don't know. So you're wrong. You should be listening to me. Yeah, I might be like an asshole now, but I'm right. And I think that that was something that was really difficult to kind of grapple with for a long time was this idea that now I am aware of something that nobody else is. And this has to be this negative thing in my life that just provokes anger and resentment and frustration and anxiety and depression, these things. Uh, And a lot of that I see in these movies as well. Like people just struggling with the way that a war experience, military experience can change your perspective on things. And so, especially Sandcastle. Sandcastle, while, you know, admittedly not the greatest film on the list by any means, uh, even though I think it is really good, personally, I think it's really good, um, belongs there because the transformation that this main character goes through is really, really relatable to me. So, that's why I put the movie on the list. And if you guys have your thoughts, I'd love to hear them on my choices of movies. But on the screen right now, if you're watching on the podcast, I've got the uh, the movies that made honorable mention. So we've got Full Metal Jacket, Black Hawk Down, The Bridge Over the River Kwai. If you haven't seen The Bridge Over the River Kwai, you have to watch that movie. Absolutely incredible. Uh, like just emotional and amazingly done. Um Watch The Bridge Over the River Kwai, Top Gun, Schindler's List, Inglorious Bastards, Hacksaw Ridge, USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage with Nicolas Cage made the list as an honorable mention because I think it does a great job telling the story of the USS Indianapolis. And if you haven't seen that movie, give it a shot. People hate Nicolas Cage, but give it a shot. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam, Glory, Apocalypse Now, Jarhead. I kind of like Jarhead. I don't know. People have mixed feelings, but I like Jarhead. American Sniper, another modern warfare story in Saving Private Ryan made a list as well. So I had to put those on there. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope that that list isn't too traumatic or disappointing for anybody. Uh, I know it might be um, surprising for some, surprising for some, but uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. If I got it wrong, if I got it right, if you agree with some, if you disagree with others, let me know. So 
Regal soldier, uh, Regal says we were soldiers once and young is name in a book. Yep. It, uh, great, great read. Robert says cats versus dogs, uh, kids movie, the most accurate depiction of near peer competition strategies and guerrilla warfare ever depicted on film. Uh, okay. I'll have to check that out. Uh, least favorite military movie. That's a tough one. Um, Justin says, what was that Robert Redford movie to last stand? Same director as the outpost. So least favorite military movie. Let me think about it for a few minutes and I will get back to you on that one. Uh, cause I probably do have a least favorite military movie. There's so many bad ones out there. There's honestly, there's like so many bad ones, especially on like Amazon prime or Netflix. You can find so many bad ones. Uh, I'll have to really think about that one. Um, something like stealth, like stealth, like a sci-fi, like a one that kind of has, takes a sci-fi take on things. Oh, no, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, you guys. I know, I have an answer. My least favorite military movie, what is it called? Eagle Eye? Or, no, no, Good Kill. My least favorite military movie is Good Kill. If you haven't seen this movie with Ethan Hawke where he plays a drone pilot, it is the worst military movie ever. It takes itself so seriously, it gets everything wrong, and it's frankly an embarrassment to the Air Force. If I was a, a pred pilot, I would be humiliated by the fact that that movie came out. It is awful. It just disregards any sense of reality. It's the dumbest, worst movie ever. Good Kill is my least favorite military movie ever. That could change uh, I, if I come up with something else. But Good Kill is one of the worst, hands down, horrible military movies ever made. Sorry if you're a fan. I hate that movie. Um, with that being said... Let's jump over back to a story because we got a couple more stories to cover and uh, and I'd like to get through them today because I wanted to follow up with you guys on, on this story that we started on last week about the missing person out here in uh, Tokyo. So mystery surrounding Dodea substitute teacher's disappearance from an airbase in Tokyo. I'm going to keep following the story closely from Yokota Air Base and give you guys some answers when, when we get them about this guy who's missing, the Dodea teacher who's missing. So the, his wife is now telling us more of the story that happened. So Trevor Ballin, 34, he is a Do, uh, Dodea teacher in chemistry and physics, six foot tall, 170 pounds, blue eyes and brown hair. He, uh, he went missing last week. So investigators searched parts of the base last week, but haven't reported new leads. On Saturday, his wife, Brittany, posted a plea for help to the Yokota spouse and family's Facebook group. Please continue to search for Trevor, including reporting any sightings, you may have had in the hours that led up to his disappearance. So they've started to retrace his steps. They've retraced his steps, and here's how he went missing. So he he was with his wife on January 31st, drinking wine in their on-base tower apartment, playing a card game over Skype or something with a friend. He was in good spirits and made plans to watch a movie and play more games. He was not acting unusual, nothing weird here. That evening, Trevor told his wife he was going to go out around 8 p.m. to search for a neighbor's lost cat, whom he spotted earlier near the base theater. Gate guards report Trevor came onto the base around 9.09 p.m., carrying a bag from a convenience store and talking on his cell phone. We have been unable to track who he was talking to. It is nobody in our joint network, which is the only network that we they, that they know of. Brittany said she last saw Trevor when he returned home at 1.30 a.m. So he comes back at 1.30 a.m. without his jacket. Okay, that's not unusual. The couple slept in separate bedrooms, and Brittany, who went to work the next morning, didn't realize her husband was missing until she finished work and saw a message from somebody who had found his wallet near a vacant townhome on base. All the messages I'd sent to Trevor were still marked unread. I returned home to find the front door unlocked, but Trevor was not home, Brittany says. When Brittany went to a vacant home near where the wallet was found, she discovered his jacket, shoes, mask, cell phone, and keys, and some um, empty cans of shoe high, which will get you super drunk. 
Somebody appeared to have reset Trevor's phone. So this is not good, you guys. This is not a good development in the story. At this point, it was Monday evening, and it was again starting to get dark and cold. I had no idea where he could possibly be, especially without any of his belongings, and she called security forces to get assistance. Japanese spokesman which from the uh, police department out there told officers that they brought a dog to search inside the February, on February 3rd inside base, and police have no information on where Trevor might have gone or that he left base, so they haven't checked security cameras in the city. That seems like, seems like they should. They wouldn't know if he left base. The Yakota community has been very supportive and they appreciate all the assistance. The couple has been together since high school. Trevor's mother said she last spoke to her son around Christmas and has contacted the embassy. Now, this is pretty suspicious at this point. So, very, I would say this is very suspicious. We've got a missing person who was found, whose stuff was found with a pile of beer cans. And those drinks are very strong, by the way. Those shoe highs will get you tanked. And when we do do the beer drinking episode, I will be sure to have a few of those on hand. Hopefully that'll be maybe next weekend, maybe next, this weekend we have plans, uh, big plans going on. So then his, his stuff is found there too, his keys, his jacket. It's freezing cold up there in, uh, in the north end of Japan. So this doesn't look good, folks. This doesn't look good. And I hope for the best. I hope they find out some information. And as they do, I'll continue to report on it for you guys. But as of right now, that's what we know. So Scotty says, ha spot on, Max. Give them both rails. Yeah, uh, that's a quote from Good Kill. Just an unthinkably bad movie. Who It was obviously written by somebody who has no experience with anything in the military. I don't think they got anything right. Go shot for shot with you. Um, maybe. Maybe we'll get you, on, uh, maybe we'll get you on, on Zoom on the show. And uh, we'll do something like that. I have to plan that carefully because it'll be lunchtime here. So, uh, Okay, here's the big story today. Time's flying by. Time's flying by. The big story today that I've been wanting to get to revolves around a death at Marine Corps boot camp, Paris Island, which is going to be made into a TV series, interestingly. So there's talk now about this getting made into a TV series, and it all is about this Paris Island recruits 2016 death inspires TV series about Marine Corps hazing culture. So a TV series about Marine Corps hazing culture. The Marine Corps makes up the overwhelming majority of hazing complaints in the military. Uh, I don't think there's any surprise there from our Marines out in the audience. And hazing happens all the time. It doesn't get reported all the time. In some instances, there's some places where I think hazing is great. I think hazing does belong. But hazing has to be done in a way that is made for team building and kind of camaraderie and not in a way just to hurt people. And definitely not in a way that is in the spirit of this incident right here. So there's a lot of things that went wrong here, and let's start covering what happened. So uh, the story about the death of Paris Island recruit Raheel Siddiqui, which sparked investigations into the treatment of Muslims and the culture of hazing at the U.S. Marine Corps training base, is an inspiring TV show. Production company 101 Studios acquired the 2016 New York Times Magazine article about Siddiqui's death and is using it as source material for a scripted limited series. Raheel's death was tragic and his family's loss immeasurable, but his death has revealed not only he, that he is not the only victim. 101 Studios says, we, need to, we intend to further explore the brutal hazing and torture that has riddled Paris Island for decades and tell the stories of other victims who have silently suffered. Marine Corps boot camp, probably made most famous by the film Full Metal Jacket, includes scenes of recruits getting beat, getting hazed, all kinds of weird stuff. We've all heard rumors and stories. And we've all heard people who say, oh, this happened to me. But what happened here is I've never heard of anything like this happening. And, uh, 
And it's really horrible. What happened here to Siddiqui is really horrible. So the Island Packet and Beaufort Gazette extensively covered Siddiqui's March 2016 death. And if you guys haven't heard of it, we're going to talk about the details of it. Siddiqui was a 20-year-old American Muslim of Pakistani descent from Taylor, Michigan, described by people close to him as having a bright mind and big heart. Assigned to 3rd Battalion's Company K, he died during his second week at the depot, five days after telling officials he had suicidal thoughts and planned to jump to his death. Now, he had only been in boot camp two weeks. He had told people he was having suicidal thoughts. This kid probably should have been brought up to somebody at medical and taken out of boot camp, right? At that point, he probably should have been taken out of boot camp Sent home, unfortunately, but he'd still be alive. And he told people what was going on with him. He told people. How many times on this show do we cover people who say that they're thinking about committing suicide and then nobody gives them any help and then they do it? Why is that so common? Assigned a 3rd Battalion's Company K, he died during his second week at the depot. Leading up to his death, a core investigation found Siddiqui faced hazing, including from a drill instructor, okay? Including, including from a drill instructor who had previously ordered a different Muslim recruit into a commercial clothes dryer and interrogated him about his loyalties and faith. The instruct, that instructor called Siddiqui a terrorist. Like, what the fuck? He put him in a commercial dryer and interrogated him about his loyalties and faith, and then that same instructor called Siddiqui a terrorist. Is that what we're doing in boot camp now? I mean... Maybe this happens all the time and some dudes have no problem with it. But if you've got a guy here who, after something like that, he says, I think I'm going to kill myself. Are you just going to do nothing? Are we just going to do nothing about that? On the morning of March 18th, 2016, investigators, investigation documents say Radiki tried to get permission to go to medical for a sore throat, but the drill instructor determined he wasn't properly requesting permission, so ordered him to perform a series of get-backs. So those are like sprints, like, uh, like uh, suicide sprints, which... I probably wouldn't reuse that term now based on this article. I just realized that. But in high school, that's what we would call them. You run to the 10, back, 20, back, 30, back. You guys know what I'm talking about. So while running the punitive sprints across the length of the squad bay, Siddiqui collapsed on the floor and became unresponsive. The instructor tried to rouse him by slapping him hard in the face multiple times. But when, and now here's where this is totally bonkers. Siddiqui rose from the floor, ran out the back door of the barracks, and then jumped from the third floor landed in the stairwell below and died from his injuries. So this kid felt so cornered, so cornered, so trapped and whatever was going on in his mind that he sprinted to jump to his death. That's a dark place you got to be in. That is a dark psychological place. So this kid was struggling, obviously. And he said, and he, he tried, it sounds like he tried multiple times to get to medical and was never allowed to go. Never given permission. They could have just taken this kid out of boot camp. They obviously didn't want him there in the first place. They could have just taken him out of boot camp. So in the wake of Siddiqui's death, two high-ranking officers and a sergeant major were relieved of command. Almost a half year later, the Corps deemed Siddiqui's death a suicide, saying he jumped to his death and that 20 recruit training regiment personnel were identified for possible military justice or administrative action. It also announced three command investigations at Paris Island have revealed troubling behaviors and lapses there. Siddiqui's drill instructor, then gunnery sergeant Joseph Felix, was convicted of hazing and abusing Siddiqui and other Muslim recruits at a court-martial in November 2017. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison and a dishonorable discharge from the court. So he got 10 years with a dishonorable discharge. So he paid a pretty steep price, I would say. 10 years in prison and a dishonorable discharge. He screwed over for life. But he was obviously targeting Muslim recruits. So Joe Felix, Gunnery Sergeant Felix, 
was targeting Muslim recruits for specifically hazing them based on their religious preferences and then ended up, and then that only stopped when this young man, Siddiqui, killed himself. His commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Joshua Kassoon, later pled guilty to dereliction of duty among other charges at a court-martial and among other things, failing to prevent Felix, who was already under investigation for abuse from supervising Siddiqui's platoon. So he was under investigation for, for, for abuse of Muslim recruits and was left in charge of the platoon. While the criminal investigations were taking place, Siddiqui's family to dis- disputed that his death was a suicide and repeatedly asked officials, including then Beaufort County Coroner Ed Allen, to change the cause of death to pending or undetermined. Now, I don't know how this works, you know, the legality behind this, but he, he obviously killed himself. It, you know, there's, nobody's disputing the chain of events that happened here, but he killed himself presumably because of the stress of boot camp and the abuses he was facing from his drill instructor. So can you call that murder? I don't know. I feel like suicide's probably the right, the right um, cause of death in my very limited understanding. But the fact that they found this guy guilty of hazing and, you know, inappropriate behavior is, is good. It's in, it's, it's in the direction of justice for the family. So at one point, the family shared with the Detroit Free Press inconsistencies that they had found in their son's medical documentation after his fall, including typos and missing but later found records. In October 2017, Siddiqui's parents filed a $100 million federal lawsuit alleging negligence led to their son's death, saying he was assaulted, hazed, and discriminated against because of his Muslim faith. It also said that the government was negligent in declaring the death a suicide shortly after the fall before a full investigation was conducted. So a federal judge dismissed the lawsuit more than a year after it was filed, barring the case based on a longstanding controversial legal precedent called the Ferris Doctrine. We probably all know, all know this. The doctrine stems from a 1950 ruling that protects the government from being sued by active duty military personnel injured in incident to service. In early 2021, the family appealed the case, asking the Supreme Court to overturn the dismissal. The court declined to hear the case. So that's unfortunate. They should settle that case for basically what they asked for, I think. Screw it. I mean, <laughs> they should settle the case with the family and give them restitution because obviously there was negligence. I mean, it doesn't take a, a legal expert to figure that out. So we'll look forward to seeing that when it comes out as a TV show. Maybe we'll do a review. We'll do a watch. We'll check out the trailer when it comes out. So hazing is great as long as there's no gay stuff, Regal says. You know, intro- <laughs> I saw a funny meme. It said uh, it was a, a gay wedding between two men. And it said uh, the end result of gay chicken in the military. Um, hazing has its place and there's a lot of different ways to do it. There's definitely inappropriate stuff. I think we've probably all seen some inappropriate stuff. And then there is the, the camaraderie. We've talked about that. You know, I don't know. Somebody has to be the adult in the room and kind of say when enough is enough or have the good sense to call it off. But this was obviously not appropriate and obviously an assault on this kid and other people who are just Muslim. And I think it's great when people who are from Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, immigrate to the United States and join the military. I think that's awesome. We covered a story on that a couple weeks ago. So then when they go in there and this happens, look at the stain on the reputation of military. For one, the stain on the reputation of military. And then two, the just general wrongness of it. Like it's just not the right thing to do. So it is, uh, it is just, it goes without saying that it's jacked up and, uh, and, I hope that the family finds some kind of restitution or some kind of peace with that. So we'll see. We will see. Now, oh, what's up, Nikki MGTV in the chat? Let's go. 76 subs. Nikki, 
Make it happen, dude. 76. That's only 7%. We're 7% away of getting there. So we can do it. We can do it this month. Just tell your friends. Give them a sub to the channel. Everyone spread the word. We're trying to get to 1,000 by the end of February. So we've got two more stories. I'm going to try to breeze through these pretty quick. They're pretty short, but I want to get to them today or else we'll never be ready for tomorrow's show. Several pounds of explosives missing during Marine training at 29 Palms. That's not good. So military investigators said Friday they're searching for several pounds of explosives that went missing during a training exercise at the Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center, 29 Palms. 10 pounds of C4 disappeared two weeks ago during a training exercise. The television station from San Diego reported that the explosives might have been stolen. 3,500 Marines and sailors from 2nd Marine Division Camp Lejeune the 1st Marine Division from Camp Pendleton and other units from Hawaii and North Carolina are involved in the integrated training exercise at 29 Palms. 29 Palms, famously, not somewhere you want to get stationed. C4 is a powerful, pliable explosive generally transported in one and a quarter pound blocks and packed in white plastic containers. The NCIS is leading the investigation. A monetary reward is also being offered. So if you guys see this and you know what happened to those explosives, there is an award, a reward for helping find them. 1st Lieutenant Dan Linfante, a spokesman for 2nd Marine Div, Declined to say whether the Marines would have to stay longer at 29 Palms, citing operational security concerns of discussing future troop movement. But, you know, who was it in the Army last year that lost some rifles? And they were like, oh, you guys are never going home. Never going home until we find these rifles. You do not want to lose guns, explosives, ammunition. Those are, uh, what's the word for those sensitive items? Radios. You do not want to lose sensitive items in the United States, okay? You are, and you don't want to lose them on deployment either. You do not want to lose a radio. You do not want to lose a gun, a rocket, a grenade, something like that on deployment or in the United States. You are totally screwed. Sensitive items. Your sensitive items must be accounted for. So this is going to be crazy um, if they can't find these explosives. 10 pounds of C4. 10 pounds of C4. I don't know what you could do with that as far as you know, how much damage that could do. It could probably bring down a small building if placed in the right spot. It could definitely breach a bunch of doors. It could definitely hurt a lot of people. So that 10 pounds of C4 is, uh, you're going to want to find that. They would probably need blasting caps or some kind of detonators to get those things armed up. And I'm sure that they could build those at home. If they're smart enough to steal C4, they're probably smart enough to figure out how to detonate it. And uh, I'm curious. Now, they could probably get it back just by saying, you guys are permanently stationed at 29 Palms. Stop lossing you. We're stop lossing. You're going to live at 29 Palms, and that C4 will turn up. It'll turn up. They just take everybody back. If they went back to Hawaii or East Coast or whatever, bring them back. If somebody goes AWOL, they probably stole it. Can't be that hard to figure it out. Who's guilty? I'm sure they have some kind of investigation going on, some kind of suspect, some kind of whistleblowers or, you know, in this case, I hope there is a snitch that helps them get that stuff back, but can't have that much C4 going missing. That's not good. Can't write that off. That is not good, folks. Not good at all. So, Regal says, not hard to detonate C4. Yeah, not hard to detonate. Well, you would have to have some knowledge of how it works. You'd have to light and do it without killing yourself, right? You'd have to have some kind of fuse, some kind of detonator, something to light it off without hurt, kill, killing yourself. So, somebody would have to know a, a little bit about explosives. It might be easy to just detonate it, you know, but to detonate it in a way that's effective, you'd have to know a little bit about it. I would think... Uh, Somebody with some kind of knowledge would be the one who would want to take it. So, U.S. Navy, here we go. Last story of the day. Last story of the day. U.S. Navy, hang on, before I get to this, because I want to, Regal's got a good point. So, Regal says, heat and pressure to detonate C4. 
it's not hard to detonate an explosive, but it is hard to apply an explosive the right way to do it, right? So you would have to know like where to put an explosive, how to detonate it without hurting yourself, how to handle it, how to transport it, um, that kind of stuff to make it work, right? Because you could just, you know, blow it and it doesn't, and like it has no effect or whatever. So there are a lot of technical ways to apply explosives. So yeah, I mean, MacGyver could do it. But if you want to weaponize, if you want to weaponize explosives, you have to have some kind of knowledge on how that stuff works. So I know that there's stuff out there like the Anarchist Cookbook, and I don't know if that's still floating around. I just know that because it was real popular when I was in like middle school. I'm sure there's plenty. I'm, you could probably look up an army field manual on how to do it. Actually, now that I think about it, you could probably just Google army field manual on explosives and figure out how to do it. But to properly weaponize an explosive, you, you do need to have some kind of knowledge in how that stuff works. So deck cord and a current, yep. So if you have deck cord, if you have deck cord and you can put some electricity into it, yes, it's not terribly complex, but I guess what I mean is if somebody's going to weaponize it, build a bomb, build an IED, use it to do something like that, they would have to have some kind of background or educate themselves somehow online. So, and it's, you know, relatively unstable if they, uh, if they start messing with it. So you don't want to detonate and blow yourself up. So, okay. Last story of the day, U S Navy veteran recovers wallet lost 53 years ago in Antarctica. So here's a good one. Fun little story to end it up with. So a meteorologist in the U.S. Navy was pleasantly surprised to recover a wallet he had lost 53 years ago in Antarctica. Paul Grisham, 91 years old, did not even remember losing the billfold when friendly strangers contacted him to return it via mail. This is from the San Diego Union Tribune. The lucky discovery was made during the 2014 demolition of a scientific base on Ross Island where Grisham had been stationed as a weather forecaster from 1967 October to November 1968. About a year. The sailor's wallet was hidden behind a locker and contained his ID card, his driver's license, a reference card for what to do in case of a CBR attack, and a ration card for beer. Anybody want to take a guess at what he missed the most out there? Had to have been that ration card. Grisham said he was blown away that so many people had gone to great lengths to reunite the wallet with its owner. So thanks to the Good Samaritan who did that. The head of the research group in Antarctica contacted one of his former employees who previously had successfully reunited a Navy ID bracelet spotted for sale in a store with its rightful owner. Along with his daughter, they appealed to the Foundation for Veterans who in turn contacted the Naval Weather Service Association, of which Grisham had been a member. The wallet finally arrived Saturday in good condition at Grisham's home in San Carlos, Northern California. I thought that was kind of funny. A little feel-good story at the end of the day. Somebody returns a wallet. If you found a wallet from 53 years ago, would you try to reunite it with its owner? Let me know in the comments. So Regal says, I'm probably on a list, no doubt. There's no doubt the show has put me on a couple lists, I bet. Just the language used. I'm sure YouTube has me on a list. When we do it to 1,000 subscribers, we'll find out if uh, my videos are, are monetizable or not, I guess. Because uh, I'll be looking for that YouTube partner program. We're about to get there. 1,000 subscribers. We've hit the other criteria, you guys, by the way. This channel has met all of the criteria for YouTube partner program, as far as I understand it, except for the 1,000 subscribers. So the sooner we can get to 1,000 subscribers, the sooner I can hit that partner program and then hopefully just maintain that for the rest of the time that I have the YouTube channel. Because if viewership drops off next month or something like that, for example, which I hope it doesn't, I hope it keeps going up, then uh, it'll be difficult to get back to that 
required hours a month watch and things like that, unique viewers and all that, that um, are required to monetize. So it's one of my goals is to hit the thousand subs uh, this month in February. So I appreciate you guys' assistance with that. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We had a lot to cover. We blew through a lot of those stories pretty quickly. I hope I uh, was making sense along the way. I appreciate you guys tuning in for this episode. We'll be back tomorrow. Same Scuttlebutt Show place, same Scuttlebutt Show time as always. You guys are the best. And uh, with that being said, I look forward to talking to you guys very soon. Very, very soon. Fun show tomorrow. Hopefully get some guests on coming up. I've been cold calling some people for some guests on the show soon. And hopefully we'll get that going. So I will see you tomorrow. I am 